This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare hey everyone this is jody sweeten from the podcast how rude tanneritos I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 2021 MLB season is here. And although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season. Along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Penny Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warmer, brother, hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Pitting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you guys. In the second segment, we're going to be joined by Andrew Cayley. He does a terrific job over there with covers. Does a little bit of everything for them. Takes a look at the baseball slate day in and day out. Also does a nice job being able to look at the links for golf. Also does a lot of fantasy football as well. Reason why we're having him on this podcast is because of the namesake on this podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast, we're going to be taking a look at some baseball, going to get his thoughts on the games for Wednesday. He's also going to be talking about the team that he thinks is going to be coming out of the American League when it comes to a futures perspective as well. So we're going to be having a great chat there. He is also north of the border in Canada. So going to ask a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays as well, how they've looked in their first month or so back at the Rogers Center. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys sign total on every game on the betting board for this Wednesday and a little something like call 
touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. And you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into the comment section of that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any questions today, but we did have a great day of baseball on Tuesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. In a game that wound up starting in mid-April, the Mets and the Marlins were able to finish things up and it was the Metropolitans who wound up getting a come from behind 6-5 win thanks to a 5 spot in the night that I guess the Miami Marlins lit this game on fire. John Curtis went to us as it was supposed to start. He's on the Milwaukee Brewers and he's on the 60-day injured list. So the starting pitcher of the Miami Marlins threw zero pitches in this one. Meanwhile, Eliezer Hernandez came in pretty much as the bulk guy, I guess you could say, even though John Curtis threw zero pitches. He gives up one run over the course of five innings. This game started, by the way, with Aces Aguiar having a 2-0 count on him after Marcus Stroman threw a couple pitches the first time around, and then Tywon Walker had to go up against him. So, if you're looking for baseball weirdness, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. From there, Ross Detweiler gives you a scoreless inning. Stephen O'Kirk, one and two-thirds inning scoreless, but then Anthony Bass gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Richard Blyer and Dylan Floro, they combine for a third of an inning, and they wind up giving up three runs. Uh, that's not great for the New York Mets. Tywin Walker does give up three runs in four and two-thirds innings as Marcus Stroman gets off the hook. He wound up allowing a hit before this game got suspended. A run did not wind up scoring on that. Eth Embry, he goes an inning. He gives up two runs, but Miguel Castro was able to give you two scoreless, and then Jersich Familia winds up getting the win with a scoreless inning as for the Mets, the heroes in this one. Jonathan VR. it was officially listed as his first home run of the year. Brandon Nemo in the ninth inning got a home run. It was officially listed as his first of the year as well, even though Nimble, I think, has five on the year. And then you've got a double-digit amount of bombs from Jonathan VR. so that is just absolutely hilarious. And it was a case in which it looks like Asus Aguiar got officially his second double of the year at his sixth RBI, even though he's down north of 90. So there's just a whole bunch of weirdness with that one. I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. Then in the game that was supposed to take place, it was a seven-inning game between the Metropolitans and the Miami Marlins, and the Mets got the job done by a count of 3-1. to one. It was Edward Cabrera who wound up taking the bump. He allowed the 10th home run season to Mr. Michael Conforto, went four innings, giving up three runs, including that homer. Stephen Gunther came in relief for the Miami Marlins and gave you two scoreless innings. And for the Fish, just nothing doing on offense. They strand six men on base as Trevor Williams was used in the starter role in this one. Four and a third innings. Gives up one under and run, hurt by Jonathan VR fielding error. But then from there, Aaron Luke gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Now it's a buck 20 ERA. Seth Lugo and Edwin Diaz close things out in the sixth and seventh innings to be able to get the Mets two victories. So that was something badly needed for them. The Oakland A's badly need some wins as well as they look to claw their way back into the American League playoff picture, and they got some help from the Boston Red Sox, which we're going to be talking about in a second, but they helped out their own cause. 9-3, they took down the Detroit Tigers. Cole Irvin did not wind up necessarily having it in this one. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were on solo home runs. Robbie Grossman gets his 20th home run season. Dustin Garneau is first of the season, and then Derek Hill gets a third. Good news is, Tariq Skubal was even worse. He gave up six runs over the course of five innings, including a pair of home runs, and then you would have Derek Collin give up three runs in two innings as he had a lot of homer. Kyle Funkhauser and Michael Fulmer gave you a score 
overall setting also for the Detroit Tigers, but going deep for the Oakland A's, Matt Chapman not once but twice. His 22nd and 23rd home runs of the season had a very good month of August, by the way, and Mark Anna his 13th home run season, and for Chapman, this is someone that going into the month of August, I think that he was hitting something like a 210, now at 9 home runs in the month of August, and he wound up hitting something like a 250 with a 375 on base, so that was very beneficial for the Oakland A's, as the bullpen was very good as well. A.J. Buck, Andrew Chafin, Yasmeto Petit, I'll give you a score of sending a day, Elise Carrera was able to give you five outs out of the bullpen for the Boston Red Sox. They're dealing with COVID-19 issues. Xander Bogarts wound up starting the game for the Boston Red Sox and then was lifted midway through the game. So he is not going to be in the starting lineup for the Boston Red Sox like I wound up saying in my preview. Good news is I've got a big differential on the race for that one. You'll be finding that out in touch of all, but... 8-5. The Rays are able to get the WS. Brad Peacock wound up getting the start. He's currently got about a 70 RA at the AAA level and didn't go any better in this one. He gives up five runs over the course of two and a third innings, including Homer going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays. Randy Rosarena is 18th home run of the season. And then for the Red Sox, you wind up having Mr. Steven Gonsalves come in for two and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs in the process. Phil Valdez was not bad. He gave up an under run over the course of three innings as Bobby Dahlbeck had a pair of errors. And Kyle Schwarber was able to get a home run off of Ryan Yarbrough in this one. His 28th of the campaign as Yarbrough was able to do enough to get the W. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. So a strong start. You did wind up having Andrew Kittrich get the final two outs of the game after... Diedrich Ennis wound up trying to light this game on fire. He gave up three runs, two of which were earned in one and a third innings. He was hurt by a Joey Wendell fielding error, and Sean Armstrong, he was able to give you a scoreless inning as well as the Tampa Bay Rays have done a great job out there in the AL East. They're seven and a half games up on the New York Yankees with their result against the Angels pending, so they certainly have been able to do their part. Speaking of being able to do their part, the Philadelphia Phillies are that for trying to get it back into the postseason. 12-6, to they wind up taking down the Washington Nationals. Matt, give me some more. Well, you probably wanted more if you were the Philadelphia Phillies. Gives up five runs over the course of three and a third innings, including Homer going deep for the Washington Nationals in this one. It was our friend Carter Keeboom with his sixth home run season, but the Washington Nationals, after they wound up getting up by a count of five to two, they lost a six spot in the sixth inning, which really killed them as Andrew McCutcheon winds up going deep in this one off of Mr. Patrick Corbin for his 22nd home run season. Brad Miller gets his 15th home run season, and then you wind up having the catcher get his first home run the season, Rafael Marchand. So that was terrific, and the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen, contrary to what they typically do, was actually pretty solid. Sam Coonrod, Jose Alvarado, Hector Neres, a scoreless inning out of all of them. Bailey Falter, one and two-thirds inning scoreless, and Inyel De Los Santos winds up giving up a run in an inning, but by that point, the game had been decided, and Patrick Corbin, another rough start. He gives up six runs over the course of five innings, now rocking a 6.26 ERA, and I believe they leads the National League in home run surrendered, so that's not great. Andres Machado winds up giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Mason Thompson, he winds up giving you two outside the bullpen. He was able to go scoreless there. Sam Clay and Kyle McGowan combined for two scoreless innings. And then our good friend, Wander I swear this guy sucks. Fresh off the injured list, he continues to be Wander I swear this guy sucks. Gives up three runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning. That's a 6.94 ERA. It's been not good for him. And Ryan Harper, he winds up giving you an out on the bullpen. So that was not good for the Washington Nationals. This is not good for the Toronto Blue Jays. They lose to the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 4-2. A Orioles team that, by the way, has scored four runs or fewer in 17 out of their last 21 games. But Keegan Aiken gives up one run, a solo home run, over the course of his five innings as he was taken deep in this one by Danny Jansen, of all guys. His sixth home run season, Vlager Jr. will get his 39th home run season, served up by one Ore Lopez as Lopez gives up that solo homer over the course of one and two-thirds innings. But then Trevor Wells and Cole Sulzer combined for the final seven outs of the 
game. And for the Orioles, they go 3 of 7 with men in scoring position as Hunjin Ryu, not necessarily been looking great for the Toronto Blue Jays recently, gives up three runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings, has now given up at least three runs in four out of his last five starts, and has given up four runs in three of those. Adam Simber comes out of the bullpen, gives up an unearned run over the course of one and a third innings as a throwing error by himself wound up costing him that error. That should probably be on him as a discussion for another day. And then Trevor Richards, two scoreless signs out of the bullpen, but the Blue Jays did not want to lose that game if they wanted to be able to have a chance at the postseason. That was not helpful. The Cleveland Indians were very helpful to themselves in being able to finish above 500 for the season. 7-2, they wind up taking down the Kansas City Royals as Zach Plesak delivered his best start of the year. Seven strikeouts and seven innings. Doesn't give up a single run. Gives up just two hits in the process. Nick Wickren, a scoreless inning, and then Alex Young gives up two runs in the ninth. But by that point, this game had been decided because of mid-Rosario. Continues to be white on. Ninth and tenth home runs of the season. He winds up taking Jacob Junis and Kyle Zimmer deep as for Zimmer, he winds up giving up two runs over the course of two innings, including that home run, Jacob Junis, four and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up one of those home runs, three runs in total. Joel Payampas gives you an out out of the bullpen, and then Wade Davis gives up two runs in two innings, including a home run to Bobby Bradley, who was able to collect his 12th of the campaign and for the Kansas City Royals. Not a lot doing on offense for this team. They went 2 of 5 with men in scoring position, but just 5 hits in this one, so that was a little bit tough for the Chicago Cubs. They were able to get a win against the Minnesota Twins. They've actually been playing better away from Wrigley rather than at home over the last month or so ever since the trade deadline. 3 to 1 the final as Frank Schwindel winds up getting his 7th home run season, and Ian Happ is 17th. For Happ, he winds up going deep off of Caleb Theobar, and his year has been rocky to say the least. Gives up that home run in his inning. Joe Manaya, along with Ty Duffy and Ralph Garza Jr. I'll give you a scoreless saying. And for John Gant, wasn't the world's worst start. He gives up two runs over the course of five innings, but offense did not back him up with anything whatsoever. As this was a not necessarily long start, but an okay one from Zach Davies. Gives up one run over the course of four and a third innings, giving up six hits in the process. So he evaded a lot of danger from there. Manuel Rodriguez was able to give you two scoreless innings. Cody Hoyer, along with Rowan Wick, both give you a scoreless inning. And Adam Morgan was able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. So that was very good for a Chicago Cubs team that they have been all over the place when it comes to their offense recently as they had allowed at least 13 runs in three out of the last four games coming into this one. So there is no place to go but down with regards to their recent ERA. The Chicago White Sox, not necessarily as much offense as they showed in their series against the Chicago Cubs, but they get the job done against the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 42. Bryce Wilson, his worst start as a Pittsburgh Pirate. First time he gave up three plus in Pittsburgh, giving up four runs over the course of five innings, including a pair of home runs. Going deep for the White Sox, Yasmani Grandal is 18th of the season and his fourth in the team's last four games. And Jose Abreu, currently leading the league in RBI with 102. He gets his 28th home run season as he has caught some fire. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, bullpen was solid. Sam Howard, Nick Mears, along with Jason Shreve. I'll give you a scoreless setting. And for the Chicago White Sox, you wind up having Lucas Giolito give up two runs in four and a third innings, but bullpen did their part from there. Aaron Bummer, Craig Kimbrell, Liam Hendricks, Michael Kopech, I'll give you a scoreless setting. And Ryan Tapera, two-thirds of an inning scoreless. The Colorado Rockies, well, they did not get the job done against the Texas Rangers. 4-3, to three, they wind up losing as the Rockies just continue to be very rocky on the road now. I will say it's not as bad as the 6-33 and 33 in their first 39 road games of the season start, but losing to the Texas Rangers in back-to-back games on the road, not good. Now, C.J. Krohn has actually been able to pick it up. He's got three home runs now in this current road swing. His 25th home run season, Ryan McMahon was able to get his 20th, and Sam Hilliard was able to get his 9th as Jordan Lyles is very good at giving up home runs. He gave up three of them over the course of six and two-thirds innings, but only three runs in total as they were all solo shots. Brett Martin, Dennis Santana both give up 
nothing in their two-thirds of an inning, and Spencer Patton was able to get the save in the ninth inning as for the Texas Rangers. Leto D. Tavares wound up entering into Monday's game, hitting a 0-62 with no home runs. He knows two in the last two days. He goes deep off of Austin Gomber for his second home run of the season, and then Nate Lau was able to get his 14th home run season for Gomber. He has been so vastly different home to road. At home, he's got a sub-2 ERA on the road that winds up ballooning to right around a 6. He gives up four runs over the course of four and a third innings, including both of those bombs. The bullpen was actually decent for the Colorado Rockies. Daniel Bard, Tyler Kinley both give you a scoreless inning. Yancy Almonte, one and two-thirds innings of the bullpen, but certainly not what the team was hoping for there. The Dodgers are now 15-3 and three in their last 18 games as they wind up taking down the Atlanta Braves. This by a count of 3-2, to two, and because it was a one-run win, the Dodgers are also now 7-12 on the run line in their last 19, so if you've been taking those, not so great as Charlie Morton was actually quite good for the Atlanta Braves in this one. Gives up one solo run over the course of his six innings. Mookie Betts wound up getting that one, his 19th of the season for Walker Buehler. He once again went six-plus innings. He has won at least six innings and now all but one of his starts so far this year, giving up two runs over the course of seven innings. He did give up a home run going deep. Jacques Peterson, the former Dodger, is 16th of the season, but the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves unable to hold up. Luke Jackson and Tyler Mazik both give up a run as they wound up combining for two innings, and for the Dodgers, their bullpen was able to do the job. Blake Tryon was able to give a squirrel setting, and Kenley Jansen gets his 30th save of the season. This for a battle of... The teams with the best record in the National League in the month of August going into the night. The Seattle Mariners need to keep playoff hopes alive, and they were able to do so against the Houston Astros. 4-0, they wind up taking down the Astros as Lance McCullough Jr. winds up giving you five scoreless things. So I'll give it up three runs or fewer in 10 out of his 11 road starts so far this year. Emi Garcia, Blake Taylor, they were both able to give you a scoreless thing. But Kendall Graveman who has been solid all year long between his time with the Seattle Mariners and the Houston Astros, entered into the night having given up five earned runs all season. He gives up four as he wound up serving it up to Abraham Toro. The former Astro winds up getting a grand slam for his 10th home run season as you say Kikuchi was absolutely amazing for the Mariners. Seven scoreless settings, Paul Sewald and Sean Doolittle were able to both give you a squirrel saying as they wind up getting it done, and Brandon Belak winds up getting the final two outs for the Houston Astros to be able to close that out. The San Diego Padres wound up completely holding down the Arizona Diamondbacks. 3-0 going into the series, by the way. The Padres for the season had had a losing record against the Arizona Diamondbacks, so they needed this, and Blake Snell needed this. Winds up going seven no-hit innings. He was lifted because he wound up having his pitch count up to 107, but 10 punch-outs from there, Pierce Johnson. He winds up giving up the first hit of the game, but a squirrel is setting him Mark Blanson was able to get his 36 save of the season. And for the Padres' main form of offense, Manny Machado gets his 23rd home run of the season. That comes off of Zach Gallen as Gallen gives up that home run. Three runs of total over the course of six innings. Caleb Smith and Taylor Clark, former starters, they come in and they combine for three scoreless innings. But the Diamondbacks, once again, in a little bit of a rut. And now the Yankees are in a rut. After winning 13 straight games, they have now lost four straight as they wind up falling to the LA Angels by a count of six of four. Aime Badia winds up giving up two solo home runs over the course of four and a third innings, taking him deep for the Yankees. Anthony Brizzo, 18th home run season, and Gary Sanchez gets his 18th as Jamison Tyon. Regression is starting to set in for him, and it's starting to set in pretty hard. He gives up six runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings as he's now given up at least three runs in each out of his last four starts. You have Julie Rodriguez giving you one and a third for the Yankees, and Lucas Lukey was able to get the final... 
two-inning scoreless for the New York Yankees, but taking a look at the LA Angels, they were able to get Rossi Iglesias' 29th save of the season. Jake Patrika and Junior Guerra combined for a scoreless inning. You did wind up having two runs given up out of the bullpen from Elvis Pagaro. He wound up leaving the building after that, and then you wind up having Jimmy Hergott, who winds up giving you one and two-thirds inning scoreless, so the Angels were able to get that done, and for Shoy Otani, now has two more stolen bases as he was able to get his 21st and 22nd and five total stolen bases for the LA Angels in this one. You don't see that very often and it is very refreshing when you do. It is also refreshing to see the Milwaukee Brewers being a native of the state of Wisconsin get the job done. They take down the San Francisco Giants by a count of 6-2. Johnny Cueto wound up getting scratched on Monday. You can tell that he was not right in this one. Gives up 10 total hits in three and two-thirds innings including all six runs that the Brewers would score and the Brewers took him deep with Lorenzo Gain getting his sixth home run season for Brandon Woodruff masterful. Gives up a solo home run over the course of six innings, hitting that one off of him was Brandon Beltis. 20th home run season, Wilmer Flores will go deep off of Brent Suter for his 17th home run season as Suter gives you the final two outs of the game giving up one run in the process. Jake Cousins also gives you a scoreless setting and for the Giants bullpen ranks in the top three with regards to ERA and they did their job. Jose Quintana fresh off of being with the LA Angels and having a not so great sim with them. Three and a third inning scoreless and Zach Liddell was able to give you two scoreless innings but also for the San Francisco Giants Nine men stranded on base. They wind up going 0 of 8 with men in scoring position, so that was not necessarily what they were hoping for. And if you've been hoping for overs recently, that has not been the case. If you take a look at just the last seven days and the last seven days only, we have seen a nice trend to the under. 49 unders, 36 overs. That's about 57.5% to the under. Favorites in that time span, 58 and 32, hitting a clip of 64.5%. Home teams in this time span because you've had a bunch of poopy teams playing home games. 45 and 47 if you're looking over the last 30 days. That normalizes to more like 205 and 190 in that time span. Favorites last 30 days hitting 65% of the time. 254 and 137 and unders have a lead on overs in that time span. 200 unders, 173 overs, so about 53.5-ish percent of games going under. And if you're looking at the season to date, we've seen about 50.6% of games go under. 949 unders, 928 overs. And favorites for the year hitting at about 59.8-ish percent. 1,168 and 784. And home teams, 1,074 and 896, winning about 54.5% of the time. So that's what we're all seeing trend-wise in Major League Baseball, and that's what we wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Tuesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Wednesday. Let's also get a little bit of a roundup on the Toronto Blue Jays, and to do that, we call in our good friend Andrew Cayley of Covers. Going to be chatting with him on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here at Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest as this man does an absolutely terrific job over there with covers. You hear him on this podcast because he does a terrific job with the baseball betting board. But on top of that, he does a great job when it comes to fantasy football. Obviously, that's going to be back into our lives in a little bit over a week. You've got golf going on as well. Andrew does a great job on the links and so much more. He is out there north of the border in Canada, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at covers underscore Kaylee. Last name is spelled C-A-L-E-Y. And Andrew, it is always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me back, Greg. I can't believe that we are on the final day of August already. I don't know where the summer went. 
I don't know either because we are now talking September baseball, my friend. And <laughs> well, I know that you're a big time Toronto Blue Jays fan. You always do your bat flip and pick of the day on Twitter, which is another reason that people should follow you. But I don't think you're going to be giving out Blue Jays money line <laughs> when they're taking on the Baltimore Orioles anytime soon. As I'm seeing it, it's going to be Matt Harvey versus Steven Matz in this one with a total of 10. And well, the Blue Jays are north of a minus 250 <laughs> favorite. How have you been handling this series in general? Because it's just tough when you're having like north of minus 250 money lines and things like this and causes you to get creative, whether it be via run line, team total, something of that nature. Luckily, Robbie Ray was going, so I expected him to have a solid day, even against an Orioles team that hits actually pretty well against left-handers for the most part. They're in the top 10, I believe, in batting average and OPS when it comes to hitting against left-handers this year. But Ray has just been so excellent this year. If you had told me, that I believe he's now the second betting favorite at some spots to win the American League Cy Young Award, let alone the Blue Jays' best pitcher this year. I would have called you nuts. So that was easy in game one. Yeah, you're right about game two. 250 is too big a price. Despite all their losses, I find this Orioles team pretty scrappy. And the Jays, you just can't rely on that bullpen at all. It doesn't matter who is pitching, especially with Steven Matz. He's been inconsistent this year. If he gets roughed up a little bit and then the Jays' bullpen is in there, that could lead to some trouble for the Blue Jays. So you'd never want to back them at that price. So what I'm going to do anyway is I'm going to look at the first five-inning total here. Matt Harvey, while he has had uh, a good little run here the last little while, at least in terms of Matt Harvey standards, I've seen a bit of a regression to the mean. He's going to give up a couple of runs at the very at least I'd say against this Blue Jays team that does have George Springer back. They just seem to be a different team with him in the lineup. Vladdy hit two home runs on Monday night, so maybe he's getting his groove back. Maybe all they needed was just a date with the Baltimore Orioles, <laughs> but Steven Matz going opposite Harvey as well. And as I mentioned, the Orioles hit lefties pretty well, and Matz has been inconsistent. So with a total of 10, I bet that first half total will be five or five and a half. I'd probably go the over there. And something I found very interesting about the Blue Jays as well as we do have Andrew Cayley joining me on the podcast is that going into their game on Tuesday, this is a bunch that they have pitched so much better at the Rogers Center rather than when they were out there in Dunedin and when they were in Buffalo because this is a bunch of which they had right around a 4-3-ish ERA when they were in their first two locations. Here at Rogers Center, they've got a 282 ERA. Now, I know that part of the reason why they've been playing some lower scoring games is that George Springer was out for a little bit. He has since returned for this team a few days ago, so that no doubt gives them a little bit of a boost. But I've been looking at the Blue Jays a little bit differently when they have been at Rogers Center because it just feels like this is a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark and the pitchers themselves that the Blue Jays wound up setting up. You, As a home team, you always just said the you set these guys up to be able to excel in your home ballpark. And now they're finally being able to reap the fruits of that. Yeah, for one, I think they're just happy to have a legitimate home <laughs> ballpark. I know Ross Stripling earlier in the year, he was just like, I can't believe we're going to our third home stadium in a year. But this is a major league stadium. They're comfortable there. They get everything they need to prepare for a game. A pitcher is very much a creature of habit and messing with their routines does not go well usually. So now they know they're here and they get all the major league amenities and things are a little better. And it's funny, you call Rogers Center a more pitcher-friendly ballpark, which you would never have said before the COVID times when they were playing in Dunedin and Buffalo, but that's the case. These are more pitcher-friendly ballparks than those places, that's for sure. Yeah, no question. It certainly isn't quite what we're seeing out there with, like, say, Petco Park or anything like that, but (laughs) when you're playing in Dunedin, Florida, along with a AAA stadium in Buffalo, that is going to yield some different results, as we do have Andrew Cayley joining me on the podcast. And, Andrew, as we know, the Blue Jays, 
they've got to make up some ground if they're looking to be able to get back into the postseason race. But luckily for them, the team that is number two with regards to the wild card, the Boston Red Sox, they were dealing with all sorts of COVID-19 issues. They had to start Brad Peacock yesterday. And Brad <laughs> Peacock had a triple-A ERA that was hovering right around seven going into yesterday. The bullpen has really dried up for them. Now Boston is looking to... All of a sudden, their most trustworthy starter in Chris Sale, who I think is making his fourth start, which that tells you where things are at for the Boston Red Sox. They're going up against a racing that they throw out their Drew Rasmussen. And the Red Sox are minus 155 favorites, as Jeff King says, I'm seeing it right now. I think that the Boston Red Sox, you can make a case for them maybe being a little bit of a favorite, but with having so many guys out, with this being one of the first starts for Chris Sale, and I recognize he's looked pretty solid, but still, he's still coming off of Tommy John surgery. He's had to ramp up during the season, and Drew Rasmussen has actually been pretty good for the race. I'm seeing some value here on Tampa Bay. I don't know about you, but this seems like an overreaction to Chris Sale. I 100% agree with you on this one, Greg. That's a name line and nothing more for a publicly bet team. Seeing at covers.com right now that the early wagers, 71% are on Boston at that minus. 145-ish, minus 140 area. I love the value with the Rays as a home underdog. Chris Sale, yes, we have mentioned that he has pitched well, but those starts have come against Baltimore, Texas, and Minnesota. So those are not murderer's rows of lineup by any means. So this will be his first real test against a really good Rays team, and it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. On top of that, he's only pitched five and a third innings, and you mentioned the bullpen is coming back down to earth again again for the Red Sox so really like the value with the home dog here yeah I'm right there with you I feel like this is a massive overreaction and when I take a look at the MLB betting board that we've got for Wednesday I think that the biggest marquee game I think we both agree Milwaukee Brewers against the San Francisco Giants now the Giants say themselves have been dealing with some COVID-19 issues Johnny Cueto wound up getting scratched on Monday Alex Wood was supposed to pitch on Tuesday so the San Francisco Giants had to Cobble add together. Now it looks like we're going to be getting Kevin Gosman on Wednesday. It seems as though he wound up avoiding all that. He's going to be going up against a guy in Brett Anderson for the Milwaukee Brewers. Home, which the Brewers just have not had any success whatsoever in his starts. They've lost each out of his last four. Despite that, he's given up three runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. So it's not like he's pitched terribly. I'm not going to say that he's been great <laughs> or anything like that. But as a pitch terribly, the team just has not been able to pull it out. How do you wind up gauging this one? Just because with the Giants, they have been a very reliable team. They have been doing absolutely amazing work, but having COVID-19 issues is no joke, and it's taking its toll on them as well. I'm going to look at the over in this matchup. Gossman, he's still excellent, and he's pitching very well this year, but he hasn't been as effective in the second half of the season as compared to the first half when he was just absolutely dominating. He's only pitched into the sixth inning once in his last four starts, and he's given up a bunch of runs here recently. The last time out, he only gave up two against the Braves. I just like the way that the Brewers are playing right now. It's a fun team. They play baseball the right way, it feels like. And Brett Anderson, as you mentioned, he's been okay. (laughs) He's not in that conversation with the other guys at the top of that rotation, but he's doing the job right now. Now, I'd probably side with the over here. I think the Giants, as you mentioned, the lineup's pretty reliable, and they'll get to Anderson for a couple runs here, and I expect this one to probably go over. Yep, with Kevin Gosman, he has an ERA north of five since the beginning of the month of July against opponents not named the Arizona Diamondbacks. So he certainly (laughs) has had a little bit of a struggle there. And when you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, as we do have Andrew Cayley joining me on the podcast, I do feel like there is some good value with the overs just because – A lot of people, they sit there and they say, oh, San Francisco, 
very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark, and it is, especially with the being September. The wind is going to knock down things, although I will say, if you're gauging wind out there in San Francisco, like a 20-mile-per-hour wind isn't as impactful as you might think it is just because of the way that the ballpark is set up. But when you take a look at this Giants team, they have been just hitting the deep ball like crazy. You've got like eight guys on the roster that had between 13 and 21 home runs going into the game on Tuesday. And I think that that's something that you've got to take a look at as well because your under is never necessarily safe, especially when you get low totals like this, when you've got a team like the Giants that they have pretty much, I would say, seven to eight position players on any given night that could take one deep. It's impressive. When you say San Francisco Giants, traditionally, no one thinks of a home run hitting, well, at least recently, if you go back to the Bonds era, sure. But like in the last decade or so, that's just not been their game. And they right now hit more home runs per game than anyone in baseball. And it's been really impressive to watch. It certainly has been. What else is really impressive to watch is the way that the Atlanta Braves have been able to rise up. Going into the game on Tuesday, the Dodgers and the Braves had the top two win percentages in the National League since the beginning of the month of August. And you got Max Fried, who's going to be going for the Braves. And you've got another Max that's going to be on the mound. Max Scherzer are going for the Dodgers, and the Dodgers find themselves just south of $2 favorites. I'm seeing between minus 185 and minus 195. Obviously, a money line might be a little bit steep here, but how do you gauge this series in general? Because you've got some really good pitchers going on both sides for both of these teams. We wound up seeing it with Charlie Morton going on the bump for the Atlanta Braves yesterday against Walker Buehler. In this one, you've got Free versus Scherzer, but you've also got lineups that, much like the San Francisco Giants, pretty much you're trotting out there seven or eight guys (laughs) that are position players that could take you deep on any at-bat and The Dodgers have just been scoring a bunch of runs, but at the same time, they've got the top ERA in the big leagues as well. So I think that this is a really intriguing one, especially from a total standpoint, seeing this between seven and a half and eight. It'll be really interesting to see if either team kind of get under each other's skin in this one. But we could definitely be seeing this in the NLDS, this matchup, which I would love. This matchup is a pitcher fan's dream. Pitching Ninja is going to love this one. <laughs> Max Scherzer has been absolutely on fire since joining the Dodgers. He was never close to done, but at times you look at him and you're like, oh, is he is he on the downward spiral a little bit? Just at least in, for him. But he's given up, I think, five total runs since becoming a Dodger in five starts. That's pretty good. And he's striking out guys like he's a young man still. I love the way that Max Fried's pitching. His hot streak kind of came to an end a little bit last time out against those very good San Francisco Giants. But overall, in the month of August, he's been pitching outstanding. This should be a pitcher's duel from top to bottom. I'd probably bet the first five inning total. I think you'll, it'll, you'll see it at four. I think the total right now is seven and a half, even a three and a half at some places for the first five inning total. But I'll bet the under, even with these great offenses, because that old adage goes, great pitching beats great hitting, and we're going to get some great pitching in this one. And I always get fascinated by Max Scherzer because it feels like all the runs that he gives up are in the first inning. Like half of his home runs have (laughs) came in the first inning. And then after that, he settles right down. So it has been absolutely magnificent to watch him as we do have Andrew Cayley of Covers joining me on the podcast. And Andrew, we certainly do have an interesting betting board for Wednesday. We are going to be having a double dip between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds. So obviously we've got no numbers there. And I'm sure that we're going to have some nice, fun, moving parts with regards to that one. But (laughs) when you just take a look at everything that we've got for Wednesday, is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you're going to be taking a look at, whether it be from a betting standpoint or 
maybe just like a little bit of a future standpoint, something that is going to be standing up for you for your handicapping you're moving forward. Still in the futures market, I'm still all in on the Rays twin, the AL pennant at plus 350 or so. I think you can still get them at plus 400. I just, in the American League, they're the most complete team in baseball and the that's the best value bet for me right now. The Yankees are going to have a cold streak again at some point with that lineup. And I still don't trust the starting pitching outside of Garrett Cole sort of thing. The White Sox are a very good team, but they haven't had much of a competition in the Central. I'm not really sure what to make of the Astros at this point. So the Rays are my pick for the futures market. You mentioned a couple games that have some very big lines. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that in September in general. When it comes to just handicapping in September, do you wind up taking a little bit of a different approach than you do the first couple months of the year when it comes to baseball? Just because we are seeing a bunch of big giant lines right now, big difference between the haves and the have-nots. We were starting out this conversation talking about one of the more lopsided ones with the Blue Jays and the Baltimore Orioles. Got the Yankees, who you wound up mentioning, as right around minus 250-ish favorites. Is there maybe a little bit of a different approach that you take? Because no question, it does get a little bit more difficult to wind up taking money lines this time of year. Yeah, for sure. Particularly when they expand the rosters and you get teams that are going to have 12-man, 13-man bullpens and they can just put guys out there after guy after guy. And all of these teams, even in the minor leagues, you see this in the big leagues now, everyone in that bullpen is throwing 95 plus, it feels like. But that's what the minor league teams are full of as well. So I don't see that changing. You'll have to tread lightly, pick your spots. There's obviously going to be some value out there with some underdogs at some points. Maybe down the stretch, once teams have clinched, maybe like a team like the White Sox, they're going to maybe put it in second gear a bit as they prepare for the playoffs, maybe set up their rotation as the way they like it for the playoffs. They're not going to have to worry too much longer here. Spots like that you should keep your eye out for. Yeah, it certainly is going to be really interesting to see what winds up happening here in the month of September. Big, giant difference between the teams that are competing for the postseason and the teams that, well, they are building for, (laughs) I'm not even going to call it 2022 because in the case of some of these teams, it's like 2025, it feels like they're building (laughs) up for right now. Or in the case of the Cubs, they're three years away from being three years away. But a man that is always here, a man that is never rebuilding because he is always built. That'll be you, Andrew. I know you do a terrific job when it comes to all things baseball, and then you've got a lot of fantasy football coverage that is starting up very soon. That is going to be back into our lives in about a week and a day as we upload this, so that is going to be a lot of fun. I know you do a great job with golf as well, so let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. You can follow me on Twitter and find my Blue Jays bat flipping pick of the day at covers underscore Kaylee, that's C-A-L-E-Y. we got lots of stuff in the works for the coming football season. All of my college football conference previews are out right now. Lots of win total bets in those. Get those in before Saturday when most of them will come off the board. And other than that, just looking forward to the NFL just around the corner as well. The NFL is going to be starting up in a little bit over a week with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking the field. And hey, who knows? Maybe we'll have another Tampa Bay team wind up taking down another championship this time in baseball. They have been thriving very much so just like Andrew Cayley thrives in everything that he does and always brings it on this podcast so big thanks to him for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast and coming up next it is that time of the podcast they give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Wednesday and a little something like call touch them all
Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to be joined by Andrew Cayley. He does a terrific job over there with covers. He's getting set for the upcoming football season day in and day out. He's always doing a great job of taking a look at the baseball betting board. He's always got his bet flip and pick of the day for the Blue Jays as well. So always great to get him aboard. So big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Wednesday and a little something like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenSquirty1. Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then we go American League games after that, and any interleague games are going to be at the bottom, and we are going to be having a double dip at the bottom, so St. Louis Cardinals versus the Reds doubleheader, that is going to be the last thing that I wind up touching upon because the game that was scheduled for today was already listed and then when they wind up canceling that they always put the double header at the bottom so we're going to be starting with the first national game of 951-952 on the bang board the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be playing OC Slam Diego Padres you Darvish going to be going for the Padres Taylor Widener is going to be on the bump for the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks anywhere between plus 190 and plus 204. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the pods, anywhere between minus 225 and minus 235 is your price. 8.5 is your total. Over is minus 115 and the under is minus 105. Widener hasn't necessarily been terrific, but he's actually shown a couple signs that he's starting to get it together. And for you, Darvish, this is a man that has given up at least four runs and now four out of his last six starts. He certainly has been scuffling, came off the injured list, and I will say it was against the LA Dodgers, but gave up four runs over the course of six innings, so he has not necessarily been at his sharpest. You take a look at him over his last five starts. He has given up a combined eight home runs in that time span as well. Walks have been down. He's given up five walks over the course of his last five starts, but you can tell that he is not necessarily looking right, and you take a look at Tarvish on the road. He's got a 2-4 and four record with a 475 ERA. Meanwhile, at home, that shrinks to a 330 ERA, and the opponent's throwing about a 225 off of him, and his strikeouts per nine rate goes down significantly. He gets right around nine strikeouts per nine innings on the road. At home, that's more like 11.6. Meanwhile, you take a look at Widener, and he has been able to do most of his best work on the road. He's got a 663 home ERA now. Small sample size, four starts, but has given up five home runs in 19 innings. And you take a look at the San Diego Padres, and they've got quite a few guys who are able to do a good job of being able to both get on base and take you deep. Austin Supernola, Eric Cosmer, Manny Machado, Jake Cronenworth. You're able to throw in there Fernando Tatis Jr. All these guys in between about a 268 to a 285. Will Myers has been relatively solid for this team. And then you've got with Mr. Machado, guy hitting above a 300 ever since the beginning of the month of June. He's really been able to come along. And then on the flip side for the Arizona the Diamondbacks, this is a bunch of which, now you got a couple guys who are starting to put it together. Ketel Marte, Carson Kelly, and Paven Smith, all with between 9 and 10 home runs. Josh Rojas is hitting about 8-280. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of homers as well. So these are guys that are able to do a little bit of something for Marte, hitting a 345. And you got a Padres bullpen that over the last three days has been right around league average after they wound up having, prior to the month of August, the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues. These guys are starting to get used up too much. Craig Stammen, Pierce Johnson, 
Austin Adams. You've just asked for too many innings out of these guys. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, their bullpen just stinks in general. Taylor Clippard, who is just absolutely anxious, is still getting innings for the team. Joe Manette Tipley has actually been halfway decent. Sean Poppin has an ERA that's right around a 5-ish. And then you've got guys like Noe Ramirez, Caleb Smith, Jake Ferry, guys I want absolutely no part of, but take a look at this spot, and I don't think that the Padres should be a $2 favorite. This is really just a line that is made on the brand name of U Darvish and U Darvish alone. I was willing to take the Diamondbacks at anything above a plus 175. We have certainly gotten there, and also made the sole 9.2. So in this spot, we're going to be going over, and I am going to be taking the Arizona Diamondbacks. 953-954 was supposed to be the original Cardinals versus Reds game. We are now going to be hitting that at the bottom with this being a doubleheader. So we go to 955-956 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals play out to the Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Supernola is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Paulo Espino is going to be on the bump for the Nationals. Nationals are underdogs of between plus 155 and plus 163. If you're looking to lay it here with the Phillies, between minus 171 and minus 180 is the price. 8.5 is your total. Over is between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is between minus 110 and minus 105. And for Espino, he wound up actually getting off to a nice start for the Washington Nationals. The hard contact has just really accumulated on him, and he's going up against a guy in Aaron Nola that, if you take a look at him at home, he has looked pretty super on the road, not so super. A 5.17 ERA away from Philadelphia, at 3.33 at home. In 14 starts on the road, he's given up 13 home runs over the course of 78 and a third innings. Eight home runs given up in 70 and a third at home. So that has been a little bit of an issue. Then you take a look at Espino, and the guy has just been getting absolutely tattooed recently as he has given up at least three runs and now two out of his last three starts. But you really date it back to when he wound up getting more starts consistently ever since the beginning of the month of July. He has had four out of his 11 starts in which he has given up fewer than three runs. So seven out of his last 11, he's given up at least three. So that has been a little bit of an issue for him. His ERA for the month of August is 7.45. So that's not necessarily what you want there. And you've got a Nationals bullpen that actually got a couple halfway decent pieces out there. Kyle Finnegan has been able to give you some innings. Ryan Harper has been able to do a solid job. Gabe Klobatis has been in on the full, but he seems to be rounding in a form a little bit whenever he gets opportunities. And you've got a pair guys went north of 20 home runs in the lineup for the Nationals in Josh Bell along with Juan Soto. Both of these guys between 22 and 23 bombs and for Soto right around a 440 on base. So he certainly has done his part. Now you've got a couple of dead bats with this team. Luis Garcia, Lane Thomas. I know that Victor Robles is a little bit injured but when he's been out there it's not been good. Kiber Ruiz, all these guys are in at 215 or lower. And then you've got a Philadelphia Phillies team in which Bryce Harper has been doing a tremendous job. He's hitting right around a 326 home runs going into yesterday. He is playing some of his best baseball right now. Gene Segura sitting about a 295 and even though Andrew McCutcheon's only hitting right around 220, he's been getting on base at a clip of about a 330 and he's got north of 20 home runs. Not having Reese Hoskins certainly does hurt this offense and what else hurts the Phillies is that their bullpen just is not great and this is a Phillies team that on the road they're right around 8 or 9 games below 500 and home they're 10 games above 500 so you got those demonstrative home and road splits and you take a look at Aniel De Los Santos, Bailey Falter, Hector Neris. They're not guys I trusted now. It's been a hammer time for the team. J.D. Hammer, a sub-2 ERA. Archie Bradley wound up having a little bit of a rough weekend, but by and large, he's been able to do a solid job for the Philadelphia Phillies. 
Question is, what are you expecting out of Espinel? I think that Espinel not necessarily going to give a great start, so I wound up setting the Phillies right around about a minus 165 favorite, but if you're taking a look at the run line, I'm seeing this anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. I was willing to lay a minus 105 on the run line for the Phillies, so I'm going to wind up taking that. Also wound up setting the sold 9.1 because I do think that both of these starters are going to give up quite a few runs, so taking the over along with this Phillies run line. 957-958 on the betting board was supposed to be the Miami Marlins against the New York Metropolitans. If you're noticing that this is an insert, it is because I recorded the preview and now the game has been postponed, so there's no money to be made here. With that, we move on. 959, 960 on the betting board. We've got the San Francisco Giants and they're going to be playing us to the Milwaukee Brewers. Brett Anderson is going to be going for the crew. Kevin Gosman is on the bump for the Giants. Giants between minus 140, minus 145 favorites. Brewers are between plus 125 and plus 137.5 is your total. Overs between minus 110 and minus 115. Unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Much like our good friend Andrew Cayley, I'm going to be taking a look at the over in this spot as well with Kevin Gosman. Against teams not named the Arizona Diamondbacks since the All-Star break, he does have a north of 5 ERA, so that's been a little bit of an issue. And I mentioned it with Andrew, the fact that Brett Anderson hasn't been terrible. I'm not going to go out here and say that he's been great or anything like that in the month of August, a 540 ERA, but also had a buck 20 ERA in the month of July. So you put that together, he's got a little bit north of a 3 ERA ever since the beginning of the month of July, but team just says not one is starts. The Brewers have lost each out of his last four starts, so that is a real issue. And if you're taking a look at it, I believe that the team is now 4-8 and eight in his last 12 overall, so that has been a tad bit of an issue with Anderson. Does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard, giving up right around .95 home runs per nine innings, 2.7 walks per nine. You're able to work with that. And for Kevin Gosman, he's actually been a little bit better this year on the road than at home. 338 home ERA, buck 79 road ERA, 6-3 record at home, giving up 6 home runs over the course of 66 and two-thirds innings, and opponents earning a buck 86 off of them, and this is a Milwaukee Brewers team that has been banged up, especially in the infield. They've been dealing with some injuries to Willie Adamas. The other big injury to them has been Eduardo Escobar, so that is no question about a little bit of an issue. You do have Avisail Garcia. He's been able to pound out 24 home runs. He's hitting a 270. Rowdy Tellez, ever since he's come over to the Milwaukee Brewers, he's been hitting right in the neighborhood about a 275, and very encouraging for this Milwaukee Brewers team. Christian Yelich has been able to get online in the month of August, being able to hit a little bit above a 300. Not necessarily hitting for a ton of power. He only wound up having two home runs going into yesterday in the month of August, but certainly just the fact that he's able to get on base for the team that is big. And Luis Urias has 18 home runs for the team so far this year. He's been able to hit right in the neighborhood about a 245. And you take a look at what he wound up doing in the month of August. He was able to hit right around a 290, wound up pounding up five home runs. So that is something that you'd like to see. But then you got a San Francisco Giants team that this team, even though they're dealing with COVID-19, locked, loaded, and ready for bear. Every single one of their position players that started yesterday has at least 13 home runs. I mean, that tells you it right there. And nobody has more than 24. That'd be Chris Bryant, the guy that wound up getting shipped over. Lamonte Wade, Brandon Belt, Buster Posey, Mike Ustrzewski, Wilmer Flores, Austin Dickerson. All between 13 and 21 home runs. It's just balanced power from this team. And the San Francisco Giants still have a very good bullpen. Now it is getting a little bit taxed, but guys like Zach Liddell, Dominique Leon, Tyler Rogers, Tony Watson, these 
these guys have been able to do the job for you. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, on the other end, they do have a pretty spectacular bullpen of their own. Hunter Strickland has been able to give you some good innings. He's been a little bit banged up, but he is bagging the fold for this team. You've been able to get some good innings out of Brad Boxberger. Obviously, you've got Devin Williams and Josh Hader in the 8th and ninth inning as well. So, I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Gosman is going to be able to turn a good start because the Brewers are a little bit banged up, and the Brewers just have not been winning Brett Anderson starts in general. I think that there's a good likelihood that this is a one-run game, so I'm going to be playing it safe. Going to be taking the Giants on the money line. Also wound up saying the solo 8.2, so we're going to be going over as well. 961-962 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing against the Atlanta Braves. Max Fried is going to be going for the Braves. In the Battle of Max, it is, it is Mad Max Scherzer who's going to be going for the Dodgers. Dodgers are finding themselves as sizable favorites in this spot. You're going to be getting them anywhere between a minus 185 and a minus 190. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Bravos, it is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 172 with your total at 7.5 to 8. With the 8, we're finding that under at minus 120 and the overs even. On the 7.5, overs between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 105 for Scherzer. I wanted playing it out with Andrew Cayley. It seems as though about half his home runs have been given up in the first inning. It feels like just after that first time through the order, Scherzer really does a good job of being able to settle down. He then winds up giving you those six, seven innings and looks very solid. And for Max Fried, he hasn't necessarily been himself on the road as compared to at home, but still has been able to do a relatively solid job. A 3.98 ERA on the road in 11 starts has given up eight home runs in 61 innings. That opponent's earning a 2.69 off of him, but command has been there. He's given up a little bit over two walks per nine innings on the road, so you do like that with the Atlanta Braves. They've been a league average bullpen so far this year, but. A.J. Minter has come off the injured list. That gives the team a little bit of a boost. Richard Rodriguez, their trade deadline acquisition has been relatively solid. Jesse Chavez is posting up his sub-3 ERA. So, got some guys that are really doing a good job. And for the Dodgers, you've got the team with the best ERA overall in the big leagues. And the bullpen ERA over the last 30 days has been in the top five. Bersuiter Gradrell, ever since the beginning of the month of August, has a sub-2 ERA. Now, Kenley Jansen has had... Trials and tribulations to say the least, but Alex Vasilla has a sub-3 ERA. Corey Knable has looked very solid for the team as well. I need to take a look at both of these lineups, and you've got a whole bunch of mashers in both of them. How about with the LA Dodgers? They trotted out there a starting lineup yesterday that 1-7. through seven, You had one guy with below 16 home runs, and that would be Corey Seager. I mean... Good grief. And with this Dodgers lineup, the only position player that was sitting below a 260 going into yesterday, Cody Bellinger. Yeah, that tells you all that you need to know about these guys. Meanwhile, with the Atlanta Braves, you've got a lot of guys that have been able to give you 20-plus home runs. Ode Soler, ever since the beginning of the month of July, he has been able to pound out, I believe, 13, maybe even 14 home runs. He has been white hot. Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, going into yesterday. Both of these guys, 28 home runs. Both of these guys hitting north of 295. Both of these guys north of 375 on base. That has been absolutely amazing. Dansby Swanson has been able to give you 25 home runs. Ozzie Albies, not too far behind. He's got 23 home runs. So you've got a whole bunch of guys that are doing an incredible job for this team. But you take a look at it, and I do think that you're able to rely upon Max Scherzer a little bit more in this spot. Ever since coming over to L.A., he has been able to do an absolutely terrific job of being able to hold it down. He seems to be able to give the team the win night in and night out. You take a look at what he's done in his starts with L.A. Five starts in total, buck 55 ERA. He has settled in very nicely. A strikeout to walk rate that is hovering right around an eight. 
So I think that he's going to be able to dominate once again. If you're taking a look at the LA Dodgers here, I wouldn't want to take this big of a money line. I would wound up setting the Dodgers right around minus $2 personally. I'm seeing a run line that's between a plus 105 and a plus 110. Getting plus money on the run line with the Dodgers might change a little bit come the morning, but that is very appealing to me. I am all aboard that, and when it comes to the total, I did wind up saying it at an 8.2 just because there is so much firepower in both of these lineups, and Scherzer, if there is one bugaboo with them, it is the fact that in terms of home runs per nine innings, he is surrendering right in the neighborhood of about... 1.4 1.4 to 1.5-ish. So, going to be taking the over and the run line of the Dodgers. 963-964 on the bang board. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing us the Houston Astros. Jake Odorizzi is going to be going for the Strokes. Logan Gilbert is going to be on the bump for the Mariners. Mariners are finding themselves as underdogs. Anywhere between plus 110 and plus 115. If you're looking to lay it here with the Strokes, anywhere between minus 124 and minus 130. 8.5 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. And for Jake Odorizzi, it certainly has been a little bit of an up and down year. And for Logan Gilbert, it's the same because the Seattle Mariners had won 11 straight Logan Gilbert starts at one point that wound up coming to an end in early August. And ever since then, they have not been so good. And Logan Gilbert starts losing each out of his last five. And Gilbert has really regressed, giving up at least three runs in four out of those five starts. He has given up at least five runs in each out of his last three, giving up a combined five home runs in that time. Now, I will say the command continues to be there. He's given up two total walks over the course of his last four starts, but he's just getting banged around like a pinata at this point. Meanwhile, you take a look at Odorizzi, and he's allowing right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings. Strikeouts per nine rate, that is in the neighborhood of about seven and a half-ish. And on the road, a 513 ERA in 10 starts for Odorizzi. He's given up 11 home runs in 47 and a third innings. Bonus are only leaning about a 240 off of them, but certainly has been far from great. But you take a look at the Astros and their lineup, that is very great as you've got a quadrant of guys with at least 20 home runs so far this season. Kyle Tucker, Carlos Correa, Jordan Alvarez, and Jose Altuve. They get Alex Bregman back. He's hitting at 280. You know that he's going to be able to find it when it comes to the power. Alamendiz Diaz along to Jordan Alvarez. Both hitting between a 285 to a 290. And then you've got Michael Brantley. He's been a little bit banged up, but he's hitting above a 300 long Jake Myers and for the Seattle Mariners. Ever since they got Abraham Toro, this has been a little bit of a different offense. Toro hitting just below 300 ever since coming over to Seattle ironically enough from Houston. Got a pair of guys with a combined 60 home runs between the two of them. Kyle Seager along with Mitch Hanniger but you take a look at Seager along with so many of these guys. Jake Bowers, Jared Kelnick, Ode Mamalois, Cal Raleigh, Dylan Moore. list goes on and on of guys. They're in at 225 or lower for this bunch but J.P. Crawford at the leadoff spot. He's sitting right around 260. Ty France is sitting at 290 and for the Seattle Mariners their bullpen has been nothing short of spectacular. Now Diego Castillo has had his ups and his downs. He is not going to be available in this game, but Casey Sadler is coming. Sub-2 ERA. Paul Seawald had a little bit of regression in the month of August, but still has been able to do the job for the team all year long. Drew's second rider is almost at a sub-2 ERA. And for the Astros, Kendall Graveman. He has been digging the grave of so many different teams. He's got a one ERA. You're able to throw in there the fact that you've got Blake Taylor. He's been able to give you some relatively solid innings recently as well. Christian Javier is someone that they've been using as sort of a super reliever. He's got a sub-3 ERA as well, so very interesting spot because I do think that Logan Gilbert is going to rein it in a little bit more, but this is a Houston Astros bunch in which you've got so many different landmines. So for that reason, set the Astros right around a minus 133. So I'm going to take them on the money line. When it comes to this total, set it at 8.7. So going to be going over along with the Astros. We move on to 965, 966 on the betting board. You've got the New York Yankees, and they're going to be in the road to face off against the LA Angels. Becky Naughton is going to be going for the Angels. Meanwhile, you've got Garrett Cole is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. 
Yankees are finding themselves as one of the bigger favorites on the betting board. This is anywhere between minus 244 and minus 260. Meanwhile, plus price here with the Angels is anywhere between plus 210 and plus 221. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. I think my voice cracked a little bit while trying to say Becky Naughton. So you've got that going on as it gets me excited to see some of these young guys I'm not sure necessarily if you're going to get the world's greatest start here out of Packy Naughton, but at the minor league level, he wasn't too bad, and in five and a third innings, he's only given up one run at the big league level. Now, he has also given up three walks in that time span. It is a very, very small sample size. He wound up getting one bulk appearance, wound up coming out of the bullpen a few times, so this is not someone that necessarily has the world's most experienced or anything like that, but he is going up against a guy in Garrett Cole that ever since coming off the COVID list, he hasn't been good. He has been absolutely stellar. You take a look at Garrett Cole over his last three starts since coming off of that list, and he's given up a total of one run in 17 and a third inning, so he certainly has been able to do his part. He is right now leading the American League in total strikeouts, so he certainly has been able to do a terrific job. And then if you want to take a look at the minor league numbers this year, Mr. Naughton, he has a 490 ERA, 2-2 record. He wound up pitching at Salt Lake City for much of the year, which explains the elevated ERA because he is pitching at a bunch of places that are like way above elevation, like Albuquerque, things like this. It is a juice ball league as well, which is why he's given up 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but 2.1 walks per nine innings at the minor league level is actually not too bad. So I think that there's going to be a little bit of promise there. And you've got to figure that non someone who was not necessarily going too deep in his starts at the minor league level, probably going to be giving way to the bullpen after about three or four innings. So that's part of the handicap as well. Rossi Iglesias has been able to do a very good job out of the bullpen for the Angels. Steve Ciszek has been able to give you a little bit of something. And Junior Guerra is able to lend length. He's got a 6 ERA, but he's able to lend length. You've got Jake Patrico, who wound up playing that game in Baltimore last week. And then you've got a Yankees bunch in which Jonathan Lewiska has been able to do a good job for this team, being able to give you multiple innings. Lucas Lutke has been able to come in. He's been solid. Aroldis Chapman, he's been shaky to say the least. So you've got a little bit of that going on. And then you take a look at both of these lineups and for the Yankees. You've got a trio of guys with at least 25 home runs. Giancarlo Sen, Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo, all these guys with north of a 360 on base as well. Obviously, with Joey Gallo, don't necessarily have the world's greatest batting average as he, Rudin, Adodora, Gary Sanchez, Brett Gardner, you're able to throw in their Kyle Gashioka. These guys are in a 220 or lower, but you have been able to get Gio Urshela back in the fold. He, along DJ LeMayu, both inning right in the neighborhood about a 265. Anthony Rizzo hasn't necessarily been doing the world's most stellar job as a Yankee as he wanted to deal with COVID-19, but he certainly has been a good presence for this bunch. And then you take a look at the Angels and Brandon Marshall has been able to step up as a young guy. He's been able to hit right in the neighborhood about a 272-275. You've obviously got the league leader in home runs in Joey Otani. And for Jared Walsh, he's just been a little bit banged up. It has been very difficult to watch because ever since the All-Star break, this is a man with just four home runs. So that has been a massive issue. And he wound up hitting right around 260 in the month of August, but his power numbers that were there at the beginning of the year made him an All-Star just have not been there recently. You've got Joe Adele, who has been a little bit with the bat. I do like what I'm seeing out of David Fletcher, but he wound up having a little bit of a tough August as well, but this is just a little bit too much of a price for me to pay on the New York Yankees. They do seem to be regressing a little bit after they wound up winning 13 straight games. They wound up entering into Tuesday's contest, having lost three straight, so this is a spot in which I was willing to take the Angels as long as I was getting $2 or greater. We certainly have been able to eclipse that, so going to be taking a shot here on the Halos. Wound up saying the sold at 9.2 as well, because I do think that the Yankees offense is starting to get going 
and I do think that there's a couple question marks that you might be having late in games with the Yankees as well. So, going to be taking the over along with the Angels in this spot. 967-968 on the betting board is my New York Post play today as you've got the Toronto Blue Jays and they're going to be playing us to the Baltimore Orioles. Matt Harvey is going to be going for the Orioles. Steven Matz is going to be on the bump for the Blue Jays. Your total on this game is 10 over and under, both at minus 105 to minus 115. And if you're looking at the Jays, it's anywhere between minus 255 and minus 280, plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles. Anywhere between plus 225 and plus 230. New York Post today, going to go a little bit opposite of Andrew on this one, is the under, because I do like the recent form of both of these guys. For Steven Matz, prior to the month of August, he had had a 4 ERA or greater in every single individual month, and a buck 50 ERA out there in the month of August. Looked very solid. And for Matt Harvey, ever since the All-Star break, he's got about a 3.53 ERA, had north of a 7 ERA going into the All-Star break. Now, to the point of Mr. Cayley, we have seen a little bit of regression for Matt Harvey recently, but it's not as if he's getting absolutely banged around and tattooed. He has given up more than three earned runs just twice ever since the All-Star break, and really for that matter, ever since he wanted facing off against the Blue Jays on June 20th. So, he has been able to turn some very good starts ever since the All-Star break, so I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that Harvey is going to be able to perform quite well, especially with the fact that this is a game that's going to be in Toronto rather than in Dunedin or in Buffalo where Harvey wound up having his bad starts against the Blue Jays, I remember a start in early July in which he wound up giving up six runs, and I was mentioning it a little bit earlier with Andrew. For the Toronto Blue Jays, in the Rogers Center this year, they've got an ERA of a 2.82, so they've been able to do a nice job of locking in there now. Bullpen has been a little bit of an issue. They designated Brad Hand for assignment. The Blue Jays did. You haven't necessarily been able to get what you were hoping for out of Adam Simber in recent games, but you've been able to get some good performances out of someone like a Jordan Romano. Joaquin Soria is now back to the fold for this team as well, so that should help. And then you've got a Baltimore Orioles team that they don't have a lot of trustworthy guys, but Cole Solzer has right around a 3 ERA. Tanner Scott has seen a little bit of regression, and Marcos Diplan is someone that they're hoping is going to be able to develop, and he's actually been able to give you a couple solid innings, so you've got a little bit of something there. And for the Baltimore Orioles, this is a team that they are able to provide a little bit of offense, but going into yesterday, they had scored Four runs or fewer in 14 out of their last 18 games. You've got a trio of guys in Cedric Mullins, Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, all giving you at least 20 home runs. For Mountcastle, 25 home runs so far this year. Mullins has went deep 24 times. For Mullins, hitting above a 300. For Mr. Mancini, Mountcastle, you're able to throw in there. Austin, they say his kid, Ramon Urias, along with Anthony Santander, Ori Mateo as well. All these guys are in between, I would say, about a 247 to a 270. So, you got a lot of like-minded bats, but then you've got Domingo Leyba, DJ Stewart, Austin Ritwins, Ryan McKenna, Jamie Jones, all these guys that are in a 220 or lower. Then you've got a Blue Jays team that they do have a bunch of bashers. George Springer is back in the fold. Prior to him going on the injured list, he had been, at minimum, one of the top five hottest hitters in baseball ever since the All-Star break. You've got Marcus Simeon and Long Springer, who are both hitting between about a 265 to 270. And just to take a look at the numbers for George Springer, in the month of July, he wound up hitting eight home runs, had a 282 batting average before having his August cut short. He wound up hitting about a 290. He was able to go deep five times in 59 at bats. So he was certainly able to do his part. You take a look at Lourdes Gurriel. He's hitting a 270 for the scene, Boba Shit, along with Teoscar Hernandez, both hitting between about a 285 to 295. Both of these guys are on of 20 home runs, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. entered into yesterday with 38 home runs, so he certainly has been able to do a great job there, and you take a look at 
just the way that things have been going in general for both of these teams and both of these pitchers, I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game. So the New York Post play today is going to be the under. When it comes to Steven Matz, I do think that he's going to be able to turn a good start here. I wound up setting the Blue Jays on the money line right around minus 235. If you're looking at the run line, you're going to be finding this anywhere between a minus 138 and a minus 145 to be able to take the run line of the Blue Jays. I needed a little bit more like a minus 130, so we've gotten a little bit too lofty there. And with the Blue Jays, because I did wind up making the money line more like a minus 230, that means that a plus 230 triggers a play on the Baltimore Orioles. As grody as it sounds, we're going to be taking the plus price here with Baltimore, and I'm going to be taking with the New York Post play of the day, because I wouldn't do it with the Orioles' money line, the under. 969, 970 on the betting board. Got the Detroit Tigers, and they're going to be playing us to the Oakland A's. James Caprillion is going to be going for the A's. Willie Peralta is going to be on the bump for Detroit. The Tigers have framed themselves as underdogs of any team, plus 145 and plus 148. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the A's, any worth team minus 158 and minus 165, 9.5 is your total. The over and under are both at minus 110. For Peralta, he wound up having like a five-start streak in which he gave up a grand total of two earned runs. He was looking very good in June slash early July. Ever since then, things have really regressed for him. I think that he wound up having a few skip starts as well. I think that he was dealing with a little bit of injury. This is someone that's giving up right in the pocket of about 1.4 home runs per nine innings. You take a look at it, and it certainly has been a year full of ups and downs now. In his last four starts, he's given up three earned runs or fewer in each of them, so he hasn't necessarily been too terrible, but at the same time, he's not going to get you too many strikeouts. This is a man with a strikeouts per nine rate that is hovering right around at five and a half. Meanwhile, with Caprillion, he has been able to do a very good job whenever he's been able to face off against some of these lesser teams. Now, on the road, a 4.93 ERA, so that is a little bit of an issue. Giving up nine home runs over the course of 45 and two-thirds innings, and opponents are a 259 off of him on the road. That drinks to a buck 84 at home, so that is something that you do want to know, but with the Oakland A's as well. Ever since the All-Star break, this has been a top-five bullpen with regards to ERA in the big leagues, as you've got Sergio Romo that has had a sub-2 ERA ever since the beginning of the month of June. De Olis Carrera has actually right around a 3-3 ERA. They don't necessarily put him in high-leverage spots, but he's been able to do the job whenever called upon. Jake Diekman is right around a 3 ERA. Andrew Chafin, who came in from the Cubs, he has been very solid for the team. Now, Lou Trevino has been a little bit shaky recently, but still is putting together a very nice season. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Detroit Tigers and Post-All-Star break, for the first month or so, the bullpen was doing a really good job. Things have really regressed with the team. Kyle Funkhauser along Gregory Soto. I've certainly been able to give you quite a bit of something. Jose Cicerno has a sub-275 ERA as well. They are probably going to be looking at a couple other guys as well. As Miguel Del Pozo, I think, wound up getting hit in the face with a ball yesterday. So that has been a little bit of something for the team. Alex Lang has been able to give you a couple innings. Not necessarily great innings, but he's been able to give you innings. Then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers, and there's just been a massive power out with them. Jonathan Scope has two home runs ever since the All-Star break. Now, they are getting back here at Haas. Haas, along with Robbie Grossman and Mr. Scope, all these guys between 18 and 21 home runs so far this year, so that has been very helpful. You have been able to get Derek Hill on base as well. He's hitting about a 255 to a 260. They're looking at Dustin Garneau for some innings at the catcher's spot. He's been able to hit about a 250, but then you got guys like Willie Castro, Zach Short. They're just not holding up their end of the bargain, but Jamie Candelario, 350 on base. Akil Badu, since coming out the injured list, has not been himself, though, so 
This is a situation in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Oakland A's in some form or fashion. With the A's money line, I did wind up setting this as a minus 157. If you're taking a look at the run line of the A's, you're finding this anywhere between about a minus 105 to a minus 110. I was willing to take this at a minus 105. So in some form or fashion, whether it be money line or run line, I'm going to be taking a shot here on the Oakland A's. It really is very close on both of these. And then when you take a look at this total, I personally wound up making this an 8.8 because the Tigers have been struggling on off. And so, going to be going under along with the Oakland A's. 971-972 on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox are going to be in the red face-off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Drew Rasmussen is going to be going for the Rays. Chris Sale is going to be on the bump for the Red Sox. Red Sox are finding themselves as anywhere between minus 139 and minus 145. Favorites, meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price with the Rays, that is anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130 with this total at 8 over and under are both at minus 110. This has fallen a little bit since we wound up having our chat with Andrew Kaley as the Red Sox were more around a minus 155 favorite then. I still think that this is a wrong line. I want him saying the Tampa Bay Rays is a very slight favorite because with Chris Sale, he's looked solid in his first couple starts. No question about it, but you can tell that he's not necessarily lending a lot of length. The bullpen has been completely ravaged with COVID-19 as Matt Barnes is not going to be available for the Boston Red Sox among a few others. The Red Sox had to use pretty much a bullpen game yesterday as well. And for Chris Sale, 15 and a third innings. He's given up three home runs in that time span. He's got a 2.35 ERA, but still, he has given up the deep ball in the Tampa Bay race. Guess what? They've got a quadrant of guys that have hit at least 21 home runs so far this year. As you've got Mr. Austin Meadows, Brandon Lau. You're able to throw in there Mike Zanino and Nelson Cruz. Cruz has been a little bit banged up, but all these guys have been able to go deep for you. And these guys do a great job of being able to get on base. Meadows and Lau both hitting right around 235, but both of these guys are north of the 320 on base. Randy Odozorena, 17 home runs, 275 batting average, like a 350 OBS, and he has been able to do a solid job for this bunch as well. Then you've got guys like Andy Diaz, G-Man Choi. They're hitting about a 252 to 260, and they've got north of a 360 on base. And for the Boston Red Sox, even though COVID has hit the team a little bit, they have been able to have most of their consistent bats out there. Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, both of these guys north of 20 home runs so far this year. Both of these guys hitting above a 280. Bobby Dahlbeck wound up entering into yesterday's game with a home run in back-to-back games. He's been able to come along. Alex Verdugo hitting at 285. Rafael Devers has been very good for the team, hitting at 275. Entered into yesterday, second in the league in RBI with. 32 home runs, and they got back Hunter Renfro yesterday, which is big because Kike Hernandez has been out the full. Renfro has been laid about a 260 with 25 home runs of his own, but for the Boston Red Sox, bullpen is a little bit suspect, as I was mentioning a little bit earlier, and with the Rays, they are getting back pieces for their bullpen. J.P. Fire Eisen along with Pete Fairbanks just came off the injured list. They've been able to get very good innings out of J.T. Chargois ever since getting traded from the Mariners. He's got right around a 1 ERA called McHugh. It's something that's able to lend a little bit of length as well, so I do take a look at the Rays and I think that they should be able to get this one done because with Drew Rasmussen, ever since he's been moved into the rotation, they've done a just absolutely masterful job of being able to stretch him out. Probably going to be asked for, I would say, probably about five innings in this spot as you take a look at it and he has gotten three starts and he has given up a combined two runs going four innings, four innings, and five innings. I was on the road against the Red Sox on the road against the Philadelphia Phillies and against the Baltimore Orioles. So, he has done a nice job there and he just doesn't give up our contact. Four home runs give it up in 52 innings in total. So, going to be taking the Tampa Bay Rays in this spot. I do think that you're going to see a Rays team be able to pummel this bullpen of the Boston Red Sox as well. So, I set this all at 8.4. So, going over along with the Rays. 973, 974 on the main board. The Kansas City Royals are going to be playing us to the Cleveland Indians. Logan Allen is going to be going for the Cleveland Indians. It was looking like same entages a little bit earlier and the Royals are going to be most likely going with Mike Miner. That's what's showing on ESPN right now, but 
Currently, the betting board is listening to be determined, so this is a game that is completely off the board. If we do wind up getting Miner versus Logan Allen, though, this is a spot in which I'd be setting the Royals right around about a minus 145-ish favorite, and we'll be making this a total to where a 9.5 or lower would be a take on the over, and a 10 or higher would be a take on the under. You take a look at Mike Miner so far this year, and he doesn't necessarily have home and road splits. He has just been really a steady Eddie guy, and for Logan Allen, he doesn't really have too many of them either because... He has been terrible at home, and he has been terrible on the road. A 1-5 record for Mr. Logan Allen. At home, he has not been able to do the job. On the road, he has not been able to do the job, but on the road, it gets even worse. A 13-50 ERA. Now, it's in two starts over the course of five and a third innings, so a very small sample size there, but still, it has not been great for him. Mike Miner has a little bit of a bigger sample size than at home. A 5-28 ERA, a 5-32 road ERA. He has a lot of 12 home runs at 76 and two-thirds innings at home, so relatively even Stevens there. And you take a look at the Kansas City Royals bunch, and you do have quite a few guys that I've been able to erupt for this team, and I've been able to do a good job of being able to reach base. Salvador Perez, Whit Merrifield, Emmanuel Rivera, all these guys are in between a 270 and a 280, and for Perez, 38 home runs. He is all of a sudden in contention to perhaps be the home run champion out there in the American League. Very far-fetched when we were taking a look at this about two months ago with the way that Shohei Otani was rolling, but he has been that good. Then you've got Andrew Benatendi, then you're right around at 255, and Sir Alberto, whenever he's been out there, he's been able to give you a tad bit of something as well. And for the Cleveland Indians, the problem for the team has not been the bats recently. Framio Reyes along with Jose Ramirez, both of these guys in between of 255 to 265, you're able to throw in there Daniel Johnson as well. Miles Straw hitting at 265 as well, but for Reyes, 24 home runs. He's getting a home run every about 13 or so at bats. Jose Ramirez, he has been tremendous as well. 31 home runs so far this year, so he has been terrific with that regard to Rosario sitting at 285-ish. You've got a couple guys, Owen Miller, Yu Chang, Austin Edges, sitting at 225 or lower. You've got Bobby Bradley, who's in that fold as well, but you take a look at the bullpens, and I do give a little bit of an edge here to the Cleveland Indians, but James Karinczak has been very shaky for the team. While you've had guys like Emmanuel Classe and company do a good job, he has been terrible, and for Karinczak, he's probably not even going to be available in this game. It looks like he's dealing with a little bit of an injury. Nick Wickren has been able to turn it around a little bit with the team, but he certainly has been full of ups and downs at 240 ERA entering into yesterday in the month of August, but he had prior to that in the month of July like a 70 ERA. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a team that they wanted trotting out their Jacob Junis yesterday, so they are going to be a little bit taxed with the bullpen, but Joel Payampas has been able to lend some long relief to Mingo Tapia. He's been able to give you a tad bit of something. They are dealing with an injury to Jake Brents, but Scott Barlow has a sub three ERA of his own, so I do take a look at the spot, and if we do wind up getting minor versus Allen, it's a spot in which I'd be setting a 9.5 or lower over and a 10 or higher to the under, and the Royals in the neighborhood of about a minus 145-ish favorite. 975, 976 on the begging board, the Colorado Rockies hit the road face off against the Texas Rangers. Koji Iahara going to be making his first start since dinosaurs walked the earth for the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, Kyle Freeland is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 9. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Rangers, anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Meanwhile, the price on the Rockies is anywhere between minus 129 and minus 135. And for Freeland, he has really been able to have a dramatic turnaround. He wound up having his first five starts of the year be absolutely disastrous. After those first five starts, a north of nine ERA. If you take a look at it ever since then, he has been a significantly different pitcher. In his last 12 starts, he's got a combined ERA that is hovering right around about a 275. So he has been very respectable there. He's given up more than three runs 
in just one out of his last 12 starts. So he's been able to hold it down in the month of August. That's an ERA of a 341. So he's been able to come out. He's been able to do a presentable job. And he's been able to get quite a few strikeouts as well. He's given you at least six strikeouts in each out of his last four starts. Meanwhile, you take a look at Ihara and... In seven starts, he got 17 strikeouts over the course of 20 and two-thirds innings. And this is a man with an ERA that is hovering right around at 6.59. His last start came on May 8th, so it's been a while. And in his last three starts, prior to going on the injured list, he had given up at least five runs in every one of them. That is absolutely terrible. You take a look at this Texas Rangers lineup, and it is absolutely terrible. You've got a bunch of guys that they're just trying to give you a little bit of something. Now, Yoni Hernandez is hitting above a 270. That is good for the team. Isaiah Canerfalefa, you're able to throw in there Nate Lowe and Adolis Garcia. These guys are in between about a 250 to 265. And for Garcia, he has been able to give you quite a few deep balls so far this year. 29 on the campaign, so that has been helpful. And DJ Turnitup Peters, he has been able to give you a little bit of power as well. He has been able to give this team eight home runs, seven of which came in the month of August, so that has been good, but he's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. You've got guys like Jonah Hine, Laodis Tavares, you're throwing out there, now Ryan Doro. These guys are just not able to reach base for you. For the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that on the road this year, they're hitting a collective about 215. Trevor Story, one of you been away from Colorado, hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200, but he had a multi-home run game earlier in this series. Connor Joe is someone that is like 100 points lower on the road, but overall this year, sitting right around 280, Charlie Blackman has been able to find a little bit of something with regards to batting average on the road, CJ Crone. He's had a pair of home runs in this series on the road as well. He entered into the series having had just five road home runs and something in the neighborhood of like 17 home runs at home, so he had some very demonstrative splits now with the Colorado Rockies. This bullpen has been absolutely terrible away from Coors. As you got Daniel Bard with right around a 10 ERA on the road. Tyler Kinley has not necessarily been able to do the job, but Robert Stevenson has actually been able to give you some halfway decent innings recently. I like what I've seen recently out of him at 265 road ERA going into yesterday. And for the Texas Rangers, Joe Barlow has been able to do a very good job whenever he's been out there. He just came off the injured list. Drell Cotton to Marcus Evans, though. Both of these guys are north of a 4-5 ERA. Spencer Patton has been a little bit up and down recently as well. So I do take a look at the spot. I have a whole lot more faith here in Freeland than I do at Iahara because I don't know if Iahara is going to be able to give you three innings because it's been so long since he's pitched. So Seth the Rockies is about a minus 145 favorite. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Colorado Rockies, you're going to be finding that anywhere between a plus 115 to a plus 120. I want no part of that because I do think that there is a high likelihood of a one-run game, and you're just not getting enough money line to run line to be able to warrant that, but did wind up saying it's sold 9.3 as well, so taking the over along with the Rockies on the money line, 977-978 on the betting board. You've got the Pittsburgh Bears in the road to face off against the White Sox. You've got Carlos Rodon going for the Chicago White Sox. Meanwhile, Mitch Keller is going to be on the bump for the Pirates. The Pirates are finding themselves as massive underdogs. As a matter of fact, the biggest underdogs on the board. Between plus 250 and plus 280 is your price. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Southsiders, anywhere between minus 310 and minus 320 is your price with this total at 9. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. Photo Don, he has been very good. I feel like he should be in contention despite the injuries for Cy Young. He has been that significantly good for the White Sox. You take a look at a 243 ERA. His strikeout per 9 rate is north of 11. What he's been able to do at home has been actually worse than on the road. A 232 road ERA, a 259 home ERA, but at home, he's given up 3 home runs in 48 and 2 thirds innings and opponents are buck seventy off of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mitch Keller and he has certainly given up the free passes. He's given up right in the neighborhood about 4.8 walks per 9 innings. Has been able to rein it in a little bit more. You take a look at his walks per 9 
in the month of August, and he did a much better job of it. He was issuing right around, I would say, about 3.3 walks per nine innings, so that is a little bit encouraging, but overall this year, he's got a 6.75 ERA, and in the month of August, a 6.20 ERA, so that has not been great. He's coming off a start in which he gave up seven runs to the St. Louis Cardinals, which is not necessarily what you want, and this is a Pittsburgh Pirates team that, speaking of what you don't want, this lineup has, it's not very good. Brian Reynolds, north of 20 home runs so far this year. The only other guy with more than 10 home runs for this team is Gregory Polanco, and with Polanco, along with Hoy Park, Kevin Newman, Eric Gonzalez, Kaye Dom, Michael Perez, this goes on and on of guys earning a 225 or lower. I will say for Yoshi Satsugo, ever since he's come over for the Pittsburgh Pirates, he's actually been very good. Five home runs in his first 13 games. He's sitting right around at 333 going into yesterday, so that's something that you do. Like Cabrian Azel and Ben Gamble, both of these guys sitting between about a 245 to 255. Wilmer Defoe sitting at 265, and Gal Moran sitting at 285. But then you take a look at the White Sox, and you got Luis Robert who's sitting right around at 340. It is absolutely insane. Tim Anderson has been out of the fold for the team recently, but Eloy Menace hitting at 275. He's got great power. We've got a tree of guys in Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, and Joel Moncada hitting between about a 252 and 265. And for Abreu, he wound up entering into yesterday the league leader in RBI. First guy to 100 RBI, 27 home runs. He has been on a tear. Joel Moncada right around at 375 on base. And for Yasmani Grandal, sitting about a 210 for the year, but wound up having three home runs in that series against the Chicago Cubs since coming off the injury list. So that's solid. And his 207 batting average is coupled with a 400 on base. I don't know how that works, but it does. For the Pirates, their big redeeming quality. Spend their bullpen. David Bernard has been able to do a good job for the team. Jason Shreve, Chris Stratton have been solid with Shreve right around a 3-ish ERA. Kyle Keller has had his ups and his downs, and they're going to be looking to Sam Howard to be able to lower his ERA since coming off the injured list. But you take a look at the White Sox, and Liam Hendricks along Craig Kimbrell. It's been a little bit of a mess for these two guys, but Jose Ruiz, Ryan Tapera, these guys have been able to give you some good innings. So Garrett Crochet since the beginning of the month of June, north of a 4 ERA, and for Michael Kopech, it has been very tough sledding ever since the beginning of the month of August. He had, in the month of August, right around a 770 ERA, but I still do think that the White Sox should be able to get a very dominant performance here out of Mr. Rodon. This is a Pittsburgh team that they're averaging the fewest runs per game out there in the big league, so I set this all at 8.3. If you're looking at the Pirates on the run line, you're able to get a plus 140 if you're getting a run and a half. If you're looking to lay a run and a half with the White Sox, that is more around a minus 160, and this is a spot in which I was willing to lay up to a minus 163 with the White Sox, so we have barely gotten there with them, so I'm going to be taking that White Sox run line to go along with this total under. 979, 980 on the bang board is the Chicago Cubs in the road faceoff against the Minnesota Twins. Justin Steele is going to be going for the Cubs. You know, Joe Ryan is going to be on the bump for the Twins. Right now, the only line is up at DraftKings. They have the Twins as a $2 favorite in the MLB debut of Mr. Ryan and plus 170 on the Cubs with your total of 8 over is minus 125 and the under is plus 105. I'm willing to make the Minnesota Twins a minus 154 favorite. If this is exactly what we're getting here, as we're showing with DraftKings, a $2 line, I would be looking at the Cubs in this spot because you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Mr. Ryan, and he has actually been very good. He wound up having at the AAA level something like 13 strikeouts per nine innings. This guy has been able to do an absolutely surgical job of just getting punch outs on a night in and night out basis, and he's actually got relatively good command as well. You take a look at what he did between the Durham Bulls along with St. Paul out there at the AAA level. Combined 12.5 strikeouts per nine innings, 5.5 hits per nine innings, 
1.6 walks per nine. So he's got some very good accuracy. He is going up against a guy in Justin Steele, though, who has actually been halfway decent for the Chicago Cubs. I'm not saying that he's going to be their next great starter or anything like that, but I do think that there's a little bit of promise here with Steele. You take a look at what he's been able to do overall this season, and he was really pressed into the starting rotation because Cubs traded away literally everything, and got a 4.15 ERA. Now, the deep balls killed him. He's given up six home runs over the course of 26 innings. His walks per nine is right around four and a half, but he's got good swing and miss stuff. He's getting right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings. He's allowed more than three runs just once so far this year, so he's been able to hold it down with that regard, and you've got a Cubs team in which they are generating a little bit of offense. At the top of the fold, Rafael Ortega along with Frank Schwindel are both hitting north of a 290. You've got Ian App along with Jason Hayward. You're able to throw in there both the Romines, Austin and Andrew Romine as guys are hitting below the threshold of about a 220, so that has been a little bit tough for you, but Patrick Wisdom and Matt Duffy, both of these guys have been able to come through for you. For Patrick Wisdom, 25 home runs this year. You take a look at it, and on a home runs per at-bat basis, he's getting a home run every 10 and a half at-bats. It is absolutely insane. In the month of August, nine bombs. He wound up only hitting at 225, but my goodness, this guy has been very good for the Chicago Cubs. But then you take a look at the Minnesota Twins, they got a lot of firepower in this lineup. Luis Arias is hitting right around 300, but Aaron Buxton is back at the Full then. Ever since coming off the injured list, it's been a little bit of tough sledding for him, but entered into yesterday, hitting at 331 overall for the year. You take a look at what he's done in August. 0.67 batting average, but that was over the course of 15 at-bats going into yesterday, so small sample size. And it certainly is better than what we're seeing out of some of these other guys as Andrelton Simmons, Brent Rooker, Jake Gave, Max Kepler, Ben Rotvet, hopefully I said that last name correctly. Miguel Sano, all hitting a 225 or lower for the team, though. I will say for Miguel Sano, ever since the beginning of the month of July, he has been able to pick it up. He has been able to hit right in the neighborhood about a 250 with a 340 on base. And he's got 23 home runs so far this year, Josh Allenson. He's got 20 plus bombs. He's hitting a 260. Ore Palanco's hitting about a 275. He's went deep 24 times. And with the Minnesota Twins, the bullpen has been a little bit up and down. Ori Alcala is not someone that I necessarily have a lot of faith in along with Alex Colomay, but Danny Colombe is right around 3 RA. He's been solid for the team. Wamanai has been able to give you a couple good innings, and for the Cubs, you just have nothing left in this bullpen. I mean, you've been able to get a couple decent innings out of Manuel Rodriguez recently. Michael Rucker, though, has been getting absolutely destroyed. Adrian Sampson, who was a failure in the KBO last year, he's actually got a decent ERA. I think that that's going to be climbing up. Rowan Wick has been able to give you a couple innings as well, so I do take a look at this spot. I think that the Twins should be right around about a minus 155-ish favorite with this being the first start of Joe Ryan. I think that he's going to come out and he's going to be able to do a lot of what he wound up doing at the minor league level. Getting a bunch of strikeouts. I do think that the command might be a little bit shaky in this one, which is why I also wound up saying this all at 9.2. So a 9 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over and a 9.5 or higher to the under. And now we hit that double dip between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds. 981, 982 and 983, 984. As of right now, it is looking like Miles Michaelis going up against Wade Miley in Game 1, and J.F. going for the Cardinals in Game 2, and Sonny Gray going for the Reds in Game 2. And this is one in which I've got very similar lines on both of these games. For both games, a 6.5 or lower. Going to be taking a look at the over, 7 or higher to the under. I want to making Wade Miley a minus 156 favorite, and Sonny Gray a minus 153 favorite. And with the run line, if you're getting a plus 135 or greater with either of these guys, I'd be taking a look at that. So, at the very least, we've got pretty consistent numbers across the board with both of these. As you've got a pair of veterans and Hap and Michaelis, they're going to be going at it for Hap. The big thing with him has been the deep ball. He's been giving up a little bit under two home runs per nine innings. And you take a look at Michaelis, and he just hasn't thrown many innings in general. You take a look at it, and 13 and a third innings so far this year 
All but four of those innings have come against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the other four wound up coming in the month of May against the Chicago Cubs. So, certainly a small sample size there. You have to go all the way back to 2019 with Miles Michaelis as he wound up missing the entirety of 2020, and this is someone that he was able to do a relatively solid job of not walking, guys. His walks per nine rate, that was right in the neighborhood of about 1.6. So, the accuracy is there. He's not necessarily going to get you a ton of punch outs. This is someone that can give up quite a bit of contact in general, and out there at Great American Ballpark. That'll get you in trouble. And for Sonny Gray, he has been able to do a solid job recently, giving up three runs or fewer in each out of his last four starts and in his last two starts, a combined 13 scoreless innings, giving up four hits in the process. So he is right now pitching his best all season, though I will say for Sonny Gray, 475 home ERA, 296 road ERA, and 11 starts at home. He's given up nine home runs and 55 innings on the road, three bombs, give it up in 48 and two-thirds innings. So that's what you're going to be getting out of him. And then if you're looking at Wade Miley, who it looks like is going to be going in game one of this. So there is a little bit of movement with this. And because the lines are so close, it is going to be a case in which if we wind up having like Wade Miley and Sonny Gray get swapped, there's not going to be too much of a quantum shift. So have no fear there. But with Wade Miley, he has been able to do a solid job all year long. And he has been very good at home. A 240 ERA across 12 stars. Giving up four home runs in 71 and a third innings. Six home runs given up in 73 and a third on the road. Now, opponents are running at 258 off of them at Great American Ballpark, but still, he's been able to do a good job of being able to reel it in. And then you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of Jay Happ, who I mentioned is giving up the deep out quite a bit. Ever since coming over to St. Louis, he has actually been very good. In his five starts with the Cardinals, a 2.22 ERA. In his prior 15 starts with the Minnesota Twins, he had an ERA right around eight. So you do have to watch out for regression. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got to watch out for a bunch of guys that have very similar batting averages as Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Yadier Molina, Umando Sosa, all guys sitting between a 253 to a 273. You'll be able to get Arenado going when it comes to a power perspective. 26 home runs, 84 RBI. Paul Goldschmidt has really become the guy that's carrying the mail for this team. He's hitting a 285, 22 home runs this year, but you take a look at what he did in the month of August. He was able to slug out five home runs. He wound up being able to hit a 350, hit a 323 in the month of July. So as the months have rolled along, he's gotten better and better. And then you've got Harrison Bader. He's fading a little bit. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they have been dealing with the injury to Jesse Winker, but Taylor Naquin in his absence wound up having a very good month of August of his own. He wound up being able to slug out six home runs, hit a 386 with a 457 on base, so nothing lost there. And Eugenio Suarez is back at the fold. Not going to give you a lot of average, hitting a buck 69, but 23 home runs to Castellanos along Joey Votto. These guys have a combined 52 home runs so far this year with Votto. He's hitting a 270 ever since the All-Star break. Leads the National League in terms of total home runs. Jonathan India has a 380 on base. Tyler Stevenson, he's got more like a 370 on base. Then you've got Cassianos with a 370 as well, but with Cassianos hitting a 315, so that has been very significant. And then you take a look at both of these bullpens, and for the Cardinals, their bullpen has been very shaky. Alex Reyes, a north of 4 ERA in the month of August. Genesis Cabrera, I have absolutely no idea what's happened with him. He has a 430 ERA overall for the year, but ever since the beginning of the month of July, it's right around a 740. Junior Fernandez is not someone that you want to trust in. Giovanni Gallegos on TJ McFarland have actually been their best pieces, and for the rest, Luis Sessa and Michael Givens have been giving you some good innings. You do have Lucas Sims now off the injured list. That helps. DJ Antone went back on the injured list. I spent a little bit issue. And Michael Lorenzen, a 245 ERA ever since he wanted coming back about a month or so ago and has yet to give up a run at home this year as well. So with this double dip, I wound up setting very similar lines on both of these. I wound up setting a minus 156 line 
on the game between Wade Miley and Miles Michaelis. A minus 153 for Gray versus Hap. Like I said, if Miley and Gray wind up getting swapped or something like that, it's going to be relatively similar numbers if we wind up getting a new pitcher altogether for one of these teams. Then it's going to be a little bit more of a jury's out situation, but in both of these spots as well. It's six and a half or lower going to be taking a look at the over, seven or higher to the under. And now we'll wrap things up for the baseball betting podcast on this Wednesday. A big thanks to Andrew Kaylee of Covers for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, baseball betting podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If, you, if you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, maybe does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into there. So always appreciate you guys tuning in. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you.